Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Amen. Dear fellow members of Christ's church, the family of God. Just about everyone here above a certain age can tell what this is just by its shape. That's true over almost the entire world. Pretty much everywhere Coke has ever sold its cola. And that's been true for generations. But what if there were people who were not familiar with this iconic Coca-Cola bottle? What would they make of or, or do with such a thing? That's the, the question or, or premise behind the 1980 South African movie, The Gods Must Be Crazy. At the beginning of the movie, a pilot flying his small plane over the Kalahari Desert finishes drinking his Coke and seeing no value or purpose to the glass bottle once it has served its purpose, carelessly throws it out the window. It falls to the ground without breaking, and is found by a tribe of bushmen who know nothing of the outside world, let alone Coca-Cola. No one in the tribe knows what the bottle is for, of course, but over time they find it to be a very useful tool for pounding, for rolling, for, for shaping, and, and, and many other things. They consider it at first an amazing gift from the gods, because after all, it fell from the sky. But a problem soon develops. There is only one bottle. So it can only be used by one person at a time. And this causes conflict within the previously cooperative tribe. Eventually, it is decided that for the good of the entire tribe, the gift should be returned to the gods. And so one man is sent out to go to the edge of the world and get rid of the thing that had caused such strife and, and brought such discord into their life together. The rest of the movie is about the man's misadventures on his journey as he encounters the civilized world for the first time. With our readings and sermons from 1 Corinthians the last few weeks, we have been compelled to think about particular gifts from God, the true God, and their usefulness to Christ's body and their, their place in the church. But some of the Holy Spirit's gifts are treated like that Coke bottle, foreign and sensational to some, but familiar and undervalued to others. In our reading today, 1 Corinthians 14, 12 to 20. The Apostle Paul tells the members of that very young, very troubled congregation in Corinth and tells us today how to put God's gifts into perspective. And it's all about knowing their purpose. We read again, Since you are eager for spiritual gifts, seek to use them abundantly in a way that will build up the church. That is why a person who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So what is to be done? I will pray using my spirit, and I will pray also using my understanding. I will sing using my spirit, and I will sing also using my understanding. 
Otherwise, how will an uninformed person say the Amen after you give thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? To be sure, you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be like babies in regard to evil, and be mature in your thinking. Now, what's the foreign thing in those verses? The tongue speaking. It's certainly something outside our confessional Lutheran experience and history, but but even for the Corinthians and, and for Pentecostals and Charismatics today, it was mysterious and different enough to be seen as sensational. If we were to look at the entire context of 1 Corinthians 14, we would see that tongues had become for that church like the Coke bottle for the Bushmen in the movie. A source of wonder, a useful tool, and the cause of disunity and discord. The problem was not disagreement over whether speaking in tongues was a legitimate spiritual gift. Paul clearly indicates that it was. We today have some trouble knowing exactly what that gift was and and whether it's the same thing found and promoted among the Pentecostals and Charismatics of our time. But the Apostles' lesson here about the use and place of such spectacular gifts is clear regardless. The problem was how this gift was being used in the Corinthian congregation. Those who had this spirit-given ability to speak in other tongues were using it publicly when everyone was gathered together for worship, and they were doing so without regard for whether other believers would benefit from it and without consideration for good order. Paul paints us a picture of gatherings taken over by thoughtless babbling, lots of people speaking at once with words that no one could understand, and frustration and resentment by those who had come expecting inspiration and encountered incoherence instead. It was yet another sign of a congregation in poor spiritual health. But that disorder and discord was more a symptom than a disease. The real underlying issue was much more basic. Those who were misusing the gift of tongues did not seem to understand what that gift, like any gift of the Spirit, was for. Sure, Paul admits, praying, speaking, and singing in a tongue was a great spiritual experience, but without interpretation... It only benefited the person doing it, and that not always. Which meant that when it was done in public, with the congregation gathered for worship, or particularly when some unbeliever happened to be present, it was a a detriment, a disadvantage to the others, because they could not understand or join in in any way. And it thus stole away their time and their attention and impoverished their public worship. It seems almost ironic, or perhaps impossible, but those who were misspeaking in tongues were using a spiritual gift 
in a most unspiritual way. And it all came down to purpose. Their misuse arose from seeing this sensational gift as something useful for impressing others with how blessed or advanced or gifted or loved by God that they were. They were using it to build themselves up in their fellow members' eyes or certainly in their own. And that had things completely backwards. The building up that they should have been concerned with at all times and with every use of every gift was the building up of everyone else, the rest of the body of Christ. That was the purpose of tongue speaking, as it is with all spiritual gifts. It's no accident that this discussion in chapter 14 follows the beautiful teaching on love in chapter 13, as as we heard last week. Living as a Christian, and particularly living as a member of a Christian congregation, the body of Christ, is all about putting the other's needs and benefits before your own. To love as God in Jesus loved us, seeking others' good just as He sought and worked and sacrificed for ours. And remembering, cherishing, and and understanding that, and, and letting it guide and inspire everything you do, is the key to all of this discussion of, of living as the body of Christ, of, of recognizing and using your spiritual gifts, of, of sharing the gospel with the unbelieving and sharing God's word with the, the uninformed, of, of loving others and especially loving God's family with all that we are and have. If we allow our thoughts and work and words, and choices, and piety, and lives, all to center on self, and how I feel, and how it makes me look, and what I get out of it, and where it gets me, then we simply fail. We may think we have great intentions, and may even achieve seemingly great things, and assume that it all has God's blessing because it involves all sorts of spiritual things. But if we have lost the center, we've lost sight of what's important. Instead, we find and keep our center on Christ. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, because he centered himself on us. He had no obligation to care and every right to do nothing for us. He could have just remained in heaven and, and looked down and watched us sinners destroy ourselves and this world we corrupted, and no one could blame him. He could have watched me lose my temper, heard you tell lies, observed us all as disobedient children and as arrogant, insolent adults, seen us cheat and steal and covet and scheme and defame and destroy and lust and laze around. And he could have just said, hey, you deserve what you're going to get. You're going to die and then you're going to hell because that's what sinners get for sinning. 
But instead, the Son of God looked at us with eyes of love. He showed us grace, undeserved favor, and had mercy upon us. And so he came to our world, and he took on our flesh as our substitute. He did all the things that his Father required of him and requires of us since we cannot. And he suffered all the things that God's justice demanded of us. Separation from his Father's love, pain, torment, and death. So that we would not suffer those things. Our faith and our lives as Christians are centered on Christ's bloody cross and empty tomb because those things show us that His love was centered on us and our salvation. All that was good for us, all that we needed, forgiveness for our sins, holiness in God's sight, eternal life in paradise's perfection, these were His great concern and His whole purpose for coming and doing and suffering all that He did. And so, in gratitude and in a deep desire to imitate Him as loving and beloved children of God, we let all that is good for our brothers and sisters, all that is needed for our congregation and, and even for our community. Let all that be our great concern and the purpose for all that we do and say and for how we work and serve and sing and pray. We have been called not only to sing God's praises, but, but to be fishers of men for Him in His world with the Gospel, we have the privilege of telling those who hear God's law condemn their sin and say, I am doomed. I am ruined. And we have the joyous privilege of telling them, your guilt is taken away because of Christ Jesus. Your sin is forgiven. Having Christ as our center makes the growth and well-being of His body, the church, our fellow members, our priority. Our goal in everything, at all times throughout our lives, is to build others up and to grow the family of God, even as we ourselves grow up in our faith. And that maturity that Paul encourages here to stop being children in our thinking about and our use of spiritual gifts and blessings. That, that does not apply only when we are dealing with foreign or sensational things. It applies just as much to the familiar. Problems for us and for the body of Christ come also when we take familiar gifts for granted or value them lightly like how problems came when that bush pilot carelessly threw a Coke bottle out the window. How often do we not say a table prayer or speak God's name without really thinking about what and why we are doing so or without thinking about how others will be influenced by what we say? How often do we repeat our lines in the liturgy without recognizing their purpose? 
How many times have we decided not to attend a church or Sunday school or Bible class because we thought only in terms of, of, of what we might get out of it instead of in terms of how our presence might encourage others and how bringing our gifts and insights and prayers and songs will build up our brothers and the whole body of Christ. How commonly don't Christians pretend that if they don't have the more upfront gifts and calling like pastors and teachers and musicians, that their place in the family is just to sit and be served. Paul corrects all such errors and attitudes and actions here by reminding us that each of us has a purpose greater than ourselves, building up the church. It doesn't matter who you are or what gifts you do have or don't have. At the very least, you can pray for our family of faith and its leaders and its servants. There are always ways to encourage with your words, with your listening, and just with your presence. Practical things, your your donations and your volunteering, your help with the the building and grounds, and, and spiritual things, worship, prayer, teaching, learning, witnessing, all of these serve this edifying purpose. And you, in turn, are built up by others. It is a great body Christ has called us into. And when we make its health and growth our priority over our own, that's when we grow best. Paul illustrated that well when he said that he would rather speak five intelligible words that others could understand and be edified by than 10,000 words in a spectacular tongue that edified only him. So he concludes with a clear command. Grow up. Stop being like children who think only of their own interests and put others first as adult Christians do. With regard to sin and evil, be like little children who pay it no attention because they have no idea what it is or why it appeals. But with regard to your spiritual gifts, seek to use them, whether they seem foreign or familiar, according to their true purpose. Use them abundantly in a way that will build up the church. Lord, let it be so for all of us. Amen. Please rise. May our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and in His grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and establish you in every good work and word. Amen.